Welcome to a special bonus episode of Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. This is The Wolfman, and today I am going to be giving you a Sundance Film Festival 2021 roundup that is brought to you by Shudder, the Netflix for horror. You can try Shudder free for 30 days by going to Shudder.com using the promo code HMP when signing up. That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R dot com. And the promo code HMP. I'm just going to tell you about Shutter right now so we don't have to pause during our Sundance coverage Shudder is the streaming service with the best selection of horror, thriller, and supernatural movies, series, and originals. From Hollywood favorites and cult classics, to original series and critically acclaimed new genre films you won't find anywhere else. Streaming uncut and commercial-free, right to your favorite devices. Also, they now have a Golden Globe nominee. Shudder's La Lorna was recently nominated for Best Foreign Language Feature Golden Globe, This title, which also won Best Film at the 2019 Venice Film Festival, was an official selection at Sundance 2020, blends together the terror of both myth and reality in a devastating expose of the genocidal atrocities against the Mayan community in Guatemala. Recent releases also include The Dark and the Wicked, one that's a must-see from 2020, After Midnight, which was the fun 2020 film that's only available in the U.S., A couple of 2021 films that I haven't seen yet, but I know some of our listeners have. Shudder Original Hunted, which looks like a lot of fun. And Shook, another eye which I haven't had a chance to see. I'm looking forward to both of those. Our old friend of the show, His Dinner is in the Oven, recently recommended werewolf movie Outcast to me. Kind of. He said it's not good. But that is currently on Shudder. I can't wait to check that out. That's now on my queue. And Projectile Varmint, an old friend of the show... She recently recommended Starfish to me, which is also streaming on Shudder. A lot of exciting stuff coming up on Shudder. I'm super excited about the Youth Walking Dead series World Beyond. Sounds like a lot of fun. And Shudder has greenlit a new Black Horror Anthology series kind of in the world of horror noir. Their Black Horror documentary. This will also include writer Tenenarive Du as part of the team on that series. So lots of exciting movies, including many that will make our top 10 movies of 2020 list when we do finally release that in our new next upcoming episode after this bonus. You can stream Shudder for just $5.99 per month or $56.99 per year, and you can extend your normal 7-day free trial to a 30-day free trial when using our promo code. Shudder has the largest, fastest-growing, human-curated selection of thrilling and dangerous entertainment on the planet... You have unlimited access to stream ad-free on all your favorite devices, including Apple devices, Android devices, Xbox, Amazon Fire, Google Chromecast, Roku, and more. So get streaming right away. To try Shutter free for 30 days, go to Shutter.com and use promo code HMP. Again, that's S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com and the promo code HMP for Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. I want to thank Shudder for sponsoring this special Sundance special. We also want to thank the Utah Film Commission, Sundance Film Festival for their help, and the Phantom Galaxy Podcast. Now, why the Phantom Galaxy Podcast? Because we are joined by the host of Phantom Galaxy, as well as a longtime HMP listener, 
supporter of the show, Nathan Bartlebaugh. Nathan, welcome to Horror Movie Podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Josh. Uh, it's a lot of fun to be here. The first 30 minutes was fun. I'm sure the rest will be great, too. <laughs> okay, great. Well, welcome to HMP. Again, I should note, we recorded for half an hour and I didn't push record because I'm used to Joel handling this part of the show. So I am so sorry to Nathan. The good news is for the listeners is we're going to be a lot quicker because we've already done some of this before. That's, that's right. The, the second time through, maybe you know we'll, we'll get this right in the matrix. And it's okay, because I've done that as well, and I did it recently where we had to stop and then come back and then have to inform people, hey, after that first gaffe, I didn't record the second part that we did. So, uh, yes, I, I feel your pain on that, but Brutal. I'm so happy to be here, and I'm looking forward to talking uh, the Sundance movies that we saw. Yeah, so, um, well, we had some great small talk, but let's dispense with it this time around. <laughs> I, I hate forcing fake conversations. That's one of my big weaknesses as a podcaster. I, I'm not good at uh, redoing the necessary <laughs> stuff like that. But uh, let's just jump right into it. What we're going to do is good. we're going to go through the Sundance Film Festival 2021 catalog. And we are going to talk about all of the films that Sundance had marked as either horror, sci-fi, or thriller. And if it turned out it wasn't very horrific or thrilling then we'll let you know that that's maybe one to avoid or watch when you're not expecting to watch a horror movie uh we didn't see all of these but we're going to talk about those that we did we'll give a quick mini review if it's one that we both saw we'll both talk about it. if it's when we heard something about i'm still going to read the description and we can uh, just talk about briefly what we heard but we'll jump right into it. Uh, the Blazing World is the first feature that we're going to talk about today, and that is directed by Carlson Young, who you might recognize as one of the actors from the first season of MTV Scream. She did a short film called The Blazing World that was at Sundance previously, I think back in 2018. And then this is her extending that to a feature film starring Udo Kier herself, uh, Dermot Mulroney, and Vanessa Shaw. Uh, I'll read the Sundance description from the guidebook. It says, ever since Margaret Carlson Young was six years old, she's been haunted by the memory of watching her sister drown during an explosive fight between her parents. As a young woman, she slides further into her twisted inner life, ultimately finding herself on the brink of suicide. Through an epic journey down the smokiest and scariest corridors of her imagination, she tries to exercise the demons, pushing her closer and closer to the edge. Nathan, what did you think of Carlson Young's The Blazing World? Well, The Blazing World, like right off the bat, I we had talked before that the images in the guide, particularly for this movie, are very striking. You can tell there's a surrealistic look to it. That description you read is pretty much accurate, and then the movie plays out in such a visually interesting way that you kind of get that story told uh, mostly you can get everything you need from that story through her visuals. Although she does have a lot of conversations in the film because it is following this young woman who's kind of coming back to her childhood home where her parents are still sort of in the middle of a rift that's been happening ever since she was young, where a specific tragedy that has splintered this family and splintered each of these people is still sort of playing out all these years later. And right from the get go, you're never entirely certain whether we are dealing with the real world, the dream world. It all often feels, feels like there's a middle ground through that. And you mentioned a lot of these uh, the, these actors. Carlson Young, of course, is the star. I think she's actually really good in the movie. And as a first-time 
director, uh, she really, she's a really good director with yeah. a really strong eye for things. She's very yeah. ambitious. Her heart is into this movie. Uh, this movie's very, very stylish. If you're a person who can just enjoy watching and looking at a movie, you could turn the sound off of this movie and watch it and still get a lot from it on that level. Uh, for me, I enjoyed this journey. It reminds me of movies like Mirror Mask, Carsim Sings the Fall, uh, The Wizard of Oz is in there, Alice in Wonderland. She mentions, Carlson Young does mention that this is sort of inspired by uh, the the novel, the we talked about maybe a proto-sci-fi novel uh, by Margaret Cavendish. It was called The Blazing World. But if I were to see this movie and then you asked me what book is it based off of, I wouldn't have guessed The Blazing World. No. Uh, Carlson Young. Not at all. Very, yeah, no, not, not at all. She probably has, as we probably all do, these very specific elements of, of books and movies that she saw or read. And there's probably something heartfelt in there that that is springing from it. But I think that uh, it, it doesn't, it's probably just to establish it as something different so that we aren't immediately saying Alice in Wonderland or something like that. Uh, Pan's Labyrinth is also very much tied into here. Visually, it's wonderful. Dramatically, I think sometimes she aims so high and tries to hit these really big, so almost metaphorical uh, moments with these couple of characters that it doesn't quite go as far as I wanted it to go. This, the last third of the movie doesn't quite take all its fantastical ideas in the fantastical world and carry them over the edge. It kind of goes for the normal drama we usually see in Sundance with a couple of characters talking about their emotions. I'm not putting that kind of movie down. I really enjoy it. But here I think she was onto something else and it kind of falls by the wayside. But there are images in here, particularly there's a Victorian house sinking to the sand filled with all this sort of uh, an antiquary clutter, if you will. And it's just fascinating. It looks hmm. great. And uh, Udo Kerr is really strong. I, you really, for me, can't put enough Vanessa Shaw on a movie. And I enjoyed, I'd like to see more of her in Derbert Mulroney, who played the parents. But I, I think this is a, I, I'm excited to see more of what she does. This one doesn't quite feel like a complete success, but I'd still recommend it to people who like to merge their horror with their fantasy and, and dreamlike surrealism. Yeah, I think that's all well put. Uh, you know, I think... Um... The idea that this felt like The Wizard of Oz or Alice in Wonderland by way of uh, David Lynch, that, that was really what I identified more than anything else. Pan's Labyrinth felt like a huge influence to me. Um, I mentioned Neon Demon. Uh, you know, there's a little bit of that feel to it. The Fall is a great reference. Well done on that. When The second you said that, I was like, oh. Wow. Okay, I see that a lot. I hadn't thought of that one. Um, it's it's a, just a beautiful film. It's visually stunning. I think it's just not going to be for most horror fans. It, it's an avant-garde film. It's experimental in terms of its narrative. Um, visually, it's a feast. I mean, you're it's there's a lot of to look at. It's all interesting, beautiful, but there just isn't much of a throughline narrative. I think if she were going for kind of a Matthew Barney career. If she wants to be an artist, she's on the right path. I think if she wants to be like a mainstream filmmaker, I think the narrative was lacking. And I think the screenplay for me felt like the weakest link here. And I think that she's a fine director, a great visual storyteller. And I think she's a strong actress. And so I can really imagine with stronger material, that mainstream audiences would respond to this. I do not think mainstream audiences are going to respond to this personally, just because it is so experimental in terms of its narrative form. I enjoyed it. Um, I, I think you and I are kind of on the same page here. I, 
we talked about previously, I hate saying that, but I can't, it's hard for me to not. Um, there was a post screening Q and a with uh, the cast. And in that Q and a cinematographer, Sean F Kelly, who shot Richard Linkletter's scanner darkly and boyhood. Um, he mentioned that the visual style was influenced by Carlson's appreciation of eighties German horror. And I was just like, what is he talking <laughs> about? Like, what is the eighties German horror? I was just racking my brain trying to think of what films that would have been. And I was like, is he thinking Suspiria is a German film? And I was like, I can see the Suspiria influence. Ultimately the one that I really kind of identified was decoder, which is decoder, which is a really cool movie. And I actually rewatched it after watching this. Cause I was like, oh, man, I, I want to watch decoder again. And I could see it as I was watching. I was like, okay, yeah, that that's definitely one. Um, you were able to identify another. What, what was on your mind when you said that? And it's funny that we also, that both of us latched onto that during that Q and a, because it's again, you're almost challenging a horror fan, all oh, the German eighties yeah. horror. And you're like, wait, what? <laughs> And decoder came to mind. Another one. And I, I, I was trying to rack my brain and I went back through and I found one that I had seen a long time ago. It's called Lauren. It's from 1989. It was a West German film it was direct, directed by Robert Siegel. And in the plot of that film, you have a, it takes place in 19th century German village. And there's a young girl who's having these weird, disturbing visions related to uh, children that have gone missing in the town. And it, there are shots in there that have that Suspiria element where there's a little bit of the German expressionism room angles are distorted. Uh, furniture in the room is different sizes than it should be. The color yeah. scheme is all like one color and light source. So I think that that's it, it. She probably saw one or two of those films. I don't think that there's this great bevy of German eighties horror. I would have thought the older German expressionist movies are probably like Caligari, for instance, are probably more inspirational here. Caligari is in there for sure. Yeah. yeah, I mean, at least in the set design, it was like, okay, that's that's straight out of Caligari. But yeah, there, I, that's I know it's a weird thing to harp on, but I think it's because the narrative is so avant garde. For me, it was just so clear that the production design was a huge highlight for me. And, I, and I'm a former production designer, so I really latch on to, oh, that furniture is incredible. You know, no the kid. lighting was really cool, and and I think. On one hand, it's clear that this wasn't a huge budget, like it's, it doesn't have the Pan's Labyrinth budget. But on the other hand, it's just amazing to see what they were able to do because it doesn't feel. I don't know how to. I don't know how to articulate this perfectly. It, you know, that it's small budget, but it looks like they got so much out of what that budget is. Like I've never seen an independent film that looks this visually striking. They make it feel like this world expands beyond the borders of what you can see. Your mind says this was filmed in a single room, but your brain is also recognizing that there are a thousand of those rooms in a labyrinth behind this. Yeah. They did. They did a tremendous job. So yeah, this is not going to be for everyone. I do think just kind of most horror audiences are not going to appreciate this movie. But I think if you are someone who enjoys avant-garde cinema, if you like art house films, then uh, you, this might be worth a go. So I, I don't like to rate these movies for the Sundance episode because sometimes the films change by the time they come out. Uh, do you, if you want to give a rating, you're welcome to. But I would call this a recommendation for fans of art house fantasy horror. Yeah, I would agree. And if you're a Gilliam fan or a Lynch fan, particularly more like in the eraser head vein of things, I think you're going to want to see this movie. There are going to be people who see this movie like myself and want her to go that don't want her to go to the mainstream way that want her to go full avant-garde to become that artist, yes. that, that director that you hear their name and you know, I'm going to 
find that movie no matter what happens. You know, I'm going to find it. Yeah, uh, you mentioned in our previous recording or the lack of recording early Terry Gilliam. I think that's another great touchstone. So yeah, it's uh, I, I can see that for sure. Like a Time Bandits kind of feel to it or something. Okay, um, moving on. Censor. Uh, this is not one that either of us saw. I did hear from a lot of people that this is one of the horror standouts from Sundance 2021. So I was sad that I didn't get a chance to see it. Um, I will go ahead and read the description from the catalog just so people can get a sense of it. Uh, Film censor Enid takes pride in her meticulous work, guarding unsuspecting audiences from the deleterious effects of watching the gore-filled decapitations and eye-gougings she pours over. Her sense of duty to protect is amplified by guilt over her inability to recall details of the long-ago disappearance of her sister, recently declared dead in absentia. When Enid is assigned to review a disturbing film from the archive that echoes her hazy childhood memories, she begins to unravel how this eerie work might be tied to her past. Sounds interesting. The key art is interesting. Um, I don't know much more about the film, but I I just heard a lot of good things about it. So, Um, Yeah, same. I've heard that it's good, (laughs) but yeah, I've heard... Good things, and it, it, probably because of the level of attention it seems to have, there's probably a good uh, chance that we'll be seeing this one sooner than later. So, you know, if we missed it, we might be seeing it, who knows, by the summer or something like that. I don't know if that's the same case for something like The Blazing World, you know, might take a little bit longer to get to us. Hmm. Okay. Well, up next we have Coming Home in the Dark. Did you have a chance to see this one? I didn't, but part of that was reading the description. I thought this sounds like a terrific horror movie, but it doesn't sound like a terrific horror movie for me. So Mm. I loved this movie. I have to say it's brutal. It's brutal, but I, I really enjoyed it. I'll read the Sundance description. Winding down a desolate road through an endless valley, Alan and Jill stop their car to take their teenage boys on a hike through the New Zealand wilderness. As they rest for a picnic at a clearing overlooking the water, two ominous looking drifters appear out of nowhere, silently surrounding the peaceful clan and radiating a threat of imminent danger. With a swift act of violence, these men take the family by force, a seemingly random decision that sets them all on a maddening collision course with the ghosts of their past, from which there is no escape. And boy, did I enjoy this movie. It's it's a rough watch, let's be honest. But I think this is going to be one, if you... Kiwis won't like this, but this does remind me of a lot of recent Australian horror, um, which I thought was interesting. Wolf Creek is not too far off the mark, but this is closer to something like Killing Ground or even The Hills Have Eyes. It's that type of movie. Yeah, Killing Ground is what I got just from reading the synopsis and thought, nope, I'm out. (laughs) Yeah, I really liked this movie. It's it's rough. It's... It's not quite as rough as Killing Ground, but it is that type of movie. Um, It's not quite that mean, and it has a lot more heart than those films do. Um, Excellent performances. The the performances here are so, so good. There's high tension. It's a compelling story. I do think there were some missed cultural specificity that could have made it really interesting because you have a Modi filmmaker here and you've got a kind of a Modi character and some 
there are just some cultural aspects that could have gone a little bit deeper and been a lot more, made it a lot more special, I think. But I do think this, for people who like that type of Hills Have Eyes killing ground type movie, I think this is a winner. Here's is one you're definitely going to want to see. It's a high priority rental recommendation for people who like that type of film. I, I really enjoyed Coming Home in the Dark. It's tough, tough movie, but it's good. Very cool. Can I ask a quick question about it? Um, yeah, uh, Josh, which is you were mentioning that you know the talk, the ghost of the past. You mentioned it has a lot of heart. I tend to enjoy these movies more when there really is a dramatic uh, tightening of the characters. You know that we just aren't watching kind of fish in a barrel. Not that Killing Ground was that, but some of those movies tend to be they're so focused on the brutality. When you're able to delve into the characters and and what's going on between them, sometimes it balances that a little bit more, and you get a more dramatic movie. And I'm a little, you know, I think people who maybe aren't into the, the the violence or the brutality can process that better. Is that what's happening here? Because it sounds a yeah. little more compelling. Yeah, it's actually a very dramatic film. There's a lot of drama in this movie. Um, it You don't know that at the beginning. It feels like this filmmaker is going to brutalize me when it, it begins. Because <laughs> it has that kind of killing ground type of opening where you're just like, why are you doing yeah. this to me? But I will say where it goes, it, you know, bit, there's a portion of the film, a large portion of the film where there are uh, bad guys and good guys in a car together uh, on route to probably utter destruction. But there's a lot of conversation during that time and it yields really interesting content. Again, I think the fact that you're in Atoroa and you've got these multi filmmaker i think you're missing out on a lot of cultural specificity that could have elevated that a lot for me but you know whatever it's a mainstream film and it's good it's it's really good James well, you just Ashcroft. put this back on my radar then because that sounds a lot more interesting and a lot more uh compelling than within the kind of synopsis yeah no it's great it's really great the ghosts of the past line um is what makes it so good, I think. And, and I, again, I think they could have done even better with that, but it's good. What they did was really good. And it's, it is specific to New Zealand, which is cool. I like things that are specific to a place and have a unique story to tell. So, yeah, um, that is Coming Home in the Dark. Next up is Eight for Silver, which I believe we both saw, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Now, this one... Man, I keep doing this. I did this with Hunter Hunter. I got my hopes up so high because <laughs> anyone mentions werewolf movie and I just start tingling. And, and especially, again, we have a situation where the key art here really goes, ooh, that looks interesting. This is a werewolf movie. This could be one of the coolest werewolf movies. It's at Sundance. You know, you're always waiting for that one film. Like it follows the Babadook, you know, hereditary whatever it is to like jump off the page and be like the killer movie for this year so i i unfortunately just had my hopes up way too high for this movie i did enjoy it largely but not to the extent that i wanted to um a for silver the sundance description is in the late 19th century brutal land baron seamus laurent played by alistair petrie slaughters a roma clan unleashing a curse on his family and village in the days that follow, the townspeople are plagued by nightmares. Seamus's son, Edward, played by Max McIntosh, goes missing, and a boy is found murdered. The locals suspect a wild animal, but visiting pathologist John McBride, played by Boyd Holbrook, warns of a more sinister presence lurking in the woods. What did you think of A for Silver, Nathan? I, 
I, I'm with you on this element of really wanting a, just a killer werewolf movie, a killer, like yeah. a great werewolf movie. And really, uh, you know, in the last 10, 15 years, maybe even before that, you know, Ginger Snaps, and it's probably been some since then that have been good, but it's still waiting for that movie to hits on all the cylinders. And we've had Hunter Hunter. Yes, I had the same experience where I walked into it because I didn't know anything about it, expecting a werewolf movie or, or hoping yeah. perhaps for a werewolf movie. I'm yeah. a big fan of The Wolf of Snow Hollow. I won't get into too much there, but similarly, <laughs> sort of disabused of your desire for a werewolf movie in those films. And yes. this one, right from the bat. Now, here's the difference is this one is definitely, I think it's safe to say that this one is playing with the werewolf mythology. It wants you to look at that title and look at yes. those pictures and get into this film. And immediately, similarly to, I, I want to say like the brotherhood of the wolf, the structure of this uh, initially is kind of reminiscent of that where you're immediately supposed mm -hmm. to be thinking werewolf for a lot of the movie. And it kind of still, I don't I want to say this without kind of giving anything away. It still, it still basically is, but I think that it is, it's so much of it is so good. Suddenly you're back into that Victorian setting and you have some brutality, real world sort of brutality that you're not expecting initially. And it, it yeah. sets the stage for a little bit more poignancy. There's a mythology that's different than what you expect. I really liked that mythology. I thought, Hey, this is cool. This is something a little different than say the Wolfman. Uh, the setting, the, the acting, all of that is really strong and yeah. then they do something with the creatures that uh, even the way the creatures look just in their design, like when someone was drawing this, when he had an artist drawing this on a page, I thought that looks cool. And, and when you look at it, if you, if you're finally able to say, okay, if this is going to be normal werewolf, what is that? that I'm looking at and what they reminded me of and what they were probably going for suddenly became kind of interesting. Like, oh, this is the concept behind the werewolf mythology. I like that. But where it let me down, and it's one of the few areas, because I actually think this is a pretty strong movie for most of it, there's kind of two things. One, it, it never quite adopts one character's point of view, which isn't necessarily a problem, but I feel like it could be hmm. dramatically stronger. It felt like we were seeing everyone, uh, you, you almost wanted to latch on to, to the character, the the Boyd Holbrook character that shows up at some point. You want to latch on to some of these other characters, and they're all there. It just sometimes feels like the movie is pulled back and we never quite get... Uh, a perspective of, okay, we're going to follow this character through the story. That was a huge, for me, the huge thing. I just wish, you know, I almost want to see them kind of take this back and if someone buys it and says, I'll give you some more money, fix the special effects. I know that's such a harsh thing to say, but a lot <laughs> of the special effects just didn't quite work for me. And because I did like sort of the design, and there's a couple scenes where you see things in the background or behind a sheet, and you're like, that's really compelling. But the minute you see it close... I, it, it just weakens the movie just a little bit. It doesn't ruin it by any means, but I kind of wanted the special effects to be stronger. And I don't know why they couldn't have been because I think a few very close, uh, close quarters, practical effects would have been better over like say the CGI that gets used. You know what I hate about movies like this? Who is it for? Because <laughs> werewolf fans are the ones who are drawn to it. Like you said, it's teasing you that it's a werewolf movie. So and it basically is, as you said, but but that's who's going to be drawn to this movie, someone who wants to see a werewolf movie. The only people that this is a the switch is better for are people who don't like werewolf movies, right? Like it's like, oh, phew, that wasn't a dumb werewolf movie. I'm glad I didn't have to sit through a werewolf movie. Like, no, like those people aren't going to come to this in the first place. So it's just a weird – and this happens a lot, I feel like, with certain monster movies where – they're trying to make these elevated films. And so they subvert the genres, but not in a way that are satisfying to 
and it's so the core close. audience it's so is close. there to see it. It's yes. so close. It really, like ninety nine percent of this movie, if they just put a werewolf in it, I would have been like, "This is the best." They also this don't commit to that switch as 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 hard as they could have to really make to to make you say, "Oh, I'm really glad I got the other thing." Yeah, exactly. Now I will say, if I could shake my brain and say, <laughs> "Okay, this is more like the thing or something," where there's it's a creature feature. There's a creepsure involved, but it's not, you know, it's it's going to be gooey and it's going to look weird and it's never going to look like the monster you think. It's, then you're like, oh, well, that's cool. I'm, I'm into those types of films. But this is closer to the thing reboot than it is to the thing because it's a really bad CGI monster for a lot of it. I think when it's a physical monster on the table and you're getting kind of that yeah. scene that reminds you of the thing where they're looking at this physical thing sitting on a table, I was 100% excited about that. And I think there are even these werewolf-like, I don't want to give anything away, but like transformation-type scenes. It's like, this is a really cool concept. Like, I actually, I like this. And I, if I wasn't sitting here watching a werewolf movie, I'd be pretty stoked. But because I want a damn werewolf movie, why won't they give me a werewolf movie? And it's just, it would just feel frustrating. And it, especially because it's like you said, I mean, they've really set you up. It's called Eight for Silver. It starts with these Roma people putting a curse. I mean, it's, and for those who don't know, you know, Roma is the correct term for what has now become a pejorative, which is, I'm just going to say it. The G word, gypsy. You know, when you talk about the things that people would like check off on a werewolf movie list, you know, like the old universal. Yeah. Horror. Right. It's yeah. the Roma people. And actually before that, it's got those bookends that start with the war. So you and you have them lining up the little silver pieces and you're like, this is definitely going where I think it's going. Well, and they make silver bullets. I mean, give me a break. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, this is a pandemic movie in a lot of ways. It's happening during a worldwide yes. cholera pandemic. There's this deadly infection spreading, but there's an even deadlier infection that, you know, is this, this beast, this creature. So uh, it's a decent so if you go in, I, I would. I mean, this is a good thought experiment. Go in knowing this is absolutely not a werewolf movie. And see if see if you like it. But I think that there's just unfortunately way too much CGI, yeah. and there's CGI that's dumb too. Like Sinister was a film that people have been talking about on the twitters over the last couple of days. <laughs> like is is Sinister hold up? And for me. I do still think it is one of like the top 30 films of the 2010s, but on a recent rewatch, I was like, man, I'm not sure if this holds up in the way that I thought it did. It's got these really dumb jump scares with the monster looking to camera, breaking the fourth wall. And it's so stupid to me. And this has a couple moments like that, that are CGI monster look to camera moments where I'm just like, what? Yeah. You're getting like an American werewolf in Paris vibe visually. And I'm like, I don't want that. Yeah, it's a bummer, but, man. But I think but it's I, good as a – I think it is a good horror movie, and I think that people will want to see it. But you do have to take into account what Josh just said. Why Why is it so hard to put a guy in a suit? <laughs> why is that so hard? I, I think I think it's just – and I and – I And it looks put, good put the, too. Like a, a guy in a suit can look good. Look at – I mean, yeah. again, Wolf of Snow Hollow, there's some shots in that movie that are like – exactly what you want from a werewolf movie. I don't mean the rest, but yeah. there are shots. I know there. what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think there's an assumption that a CGI makes a film more marketable and more modern. And maybe that's true. But in this case, it just detracted from all of the hard work that the cast and crew had done on this really unique kind of monster movie. So anyway, I liked it. 
I really did. You know, I, again, I'm not going to necessarily rate this, but I'm looking at our, our letterbox ratings here, Nathan, and you and I rated it the same. It's pretty high. There's a pretty high creature feature recommendation, but you have to know that you're going to get some CGI. The narrative isn't as strong as it could be. And, and if you like historical horror too, there is that too. These are yeah, a good example yeah. of that for sure. Period set and it's and it's set in a real time period, which is cool. Yeah, I absolutely love that. So all right, it sounds like we're kind of on the same page with that one as well. Um, next up on my list, I have First Date. And First Date was a film that um the Mike, a high school kid with a crush, finally summons the courage to ask Kelsey out on a date with a date but no wheels. Mike borrows money and gets duped into buying a clunker. Although many a first date goes awry, Mike swiftly descends into a surreal misadventure that finds him inexplicably targeted by a pair of cops, a criminal gang, and a vengeful cat lady, all roads leading to a showdown. And I don't, nothing about that sounds like a horror movie, but when I saw the still, it just looks like a horror movie to me. And I thought, okay, this is going to be a fun horror comedy. There's, it's not, it's just a comedy and it's not very strong. It's, it's interesting. Like the, the lead actor is great and it's, but it's just kind of, it's one of those movies where all this crazy stuff happens one night. It was a big thing in the eighties adventures and babysitting yes. blind date after hours, a license to drive after hours. This feels like a worse version of <laughs> oh, blind no. date and license to drive to me, like combine those two movies and then you know, and then take 40% off of the quality. (laughs) It's fine. I don't mean to disparage it, but it's just, it's certainly not a horror movie. And I don't even think it's a great version of what it is, but you know, it's fine. It's, it's not horror. moving on. Um, So that was first date. Yeah. The thing lost it. Okay. A glitch in the matrix. I don't think that really is, anything particularly um, horrific. It's from the director of room two, three, seven. It's a fascinating and visually stimulating documentary exploring simulation theory. The idea that this world we live in might not be entirely real. So check that out. Maybe if you'd like to watch a glitch in the matrix Um, in the earth, did you see in the earth? I did see this one. Yes. Awesome. Me too. Um, In the Earth is the latest from director Ben Wheatley, who people would recognize from uh, Sightseers, Kill List, A Field in England. He is a disturbing British filmmaker. Um, The short synopsis for this film is, as the deadly virus ravages the world, Dr. Martin Lowry embarks on a mission to reach test site ATU-327A important a research hub deep in the forest the arduous journey guided by a park scout alma is set back by a nighttime attack that leaves the two bruised and shoeless when they run into zach a man living off the grid they gratefully accept his help zach's intentions aren't exactly what they seem however and a path out of the forest and into this into safety quickly fades as the line between myth and science blurs so this is like an existential cosmic type of horror film. We've seen a lot of these lately. Uh, I I liked it. I didn't think for me, it was personally like a big standout from other kind of cosmic existential horror films we've seen, but I liked it still. I mean, it was, it was enjoyable. It was well done. I also didn't think this was quite to the level of disturbingness of sightseers or kill list from Ben Wheatley. But again, I liked it. What did you think Nathan of in the earth? 
I really liked this one. I, I I do see what you're saying. That is it that difference of some of the other cosmic horrors that we've gotten, or even different from some of the stuff that Wheatley has done. Not excessively, although I do know that Wheatley's last movie was Rebecca on Netflix, and for me personally, that was a little bit of a disappointment because mm. watching that, there was nothing there that screamed, "This is Ben Wheatley." And I kind of do yeah. like it when these directors get a little obsessive with their ideas and their visions, and each piece of their work forms this image of, of, of who they are. I don't mind, you know. Yeah. I love to see people try different things, but there just was, why was Ben Wheatley hired for, hired for that? Why has Ben Wheatley been hired for Meg 2? I, I hope that there's a good reason for that when I finally see the Meg 2. <laughs> but I, you know, I'm happy that in between that, we have this, which kind of fits into his filmography. And earlier uh, this year, or last year, actually, later, late in last year, I got an opportunity to go on Land of the Creeps and talk like kind of mind-bending, trippy movies and re-watch A Field in England, which is really weird it's probably his yeah. weirdest movie and it's got some very yeah. disturbing things and reese shearsmith from that movie is in this one and i and there's even a couple lines of dialogue that make you think that maybe this is a weird you know 100 years later sequel because they talk about this <laughs> alchemist at this site and that they think he might have been reincarnated and there was a that, that film dealt with an alchemist at a very specific site and these standing stones and all of that and he gets into this mythology and he you know, this taps into that. I think when uh, Victor was on your show, he kind of, and he's mentioned that uh, when he came on Fam Galaxy, the new weird, you know, this, this specific yeah. kind of fiction that is existential, that does deal with more of these cosmic creeping feelings of dread than full on monsters. But it's got some of his dark humor in there. There's some gore in there. There's some really uncomfortable gore at one point in a scene that's both kind of humorous and, and kind of nauseating at the same time. <laughs> and yeah. it does get into that trippy sort of literally visually trippy. I really enjoyed it. I It, it didn't quite completely. And I think that's something for a lot of the movies I saw at Sun, Sundance this year. There wasn't anything that quite jumped out at me or kind of, kind of, you know, kind of smacks you in the face and, and to get your attention. Uh, this one is another one of those that just, hey, this was really good for what he was doing. I was happy to see him playing that in that field, no pun intended, again. But he doesn't <laughs> quite it, it it doesn't I didn't look at it and say, wow, this was, you know, as good as as uh Kill List, which was a bit of a gut punch. Uh Sightseer is a very different kind of movie, but it also is kind of a, uh, it's a lingering gut punch. It's like someone sort of mildly punching you in the stomach for an hour and a half until you throw up. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yes. So, but I did like it and I would recommend it for fans of Wheatley. Uh, it's very interesting. And I do think this is one that will improve on much like a field in England. I think these movies are almost feel more like ambient, like art pieces than movies. Yeah. Ambient is the exact right word for this movie. Um, you know, I think, yeah, it it, it just it, there was nothing that specifically lucked out to me about this movie, either as a Wheatley film or as a cosmic horror film. I think if you, cosmic horror is your thing, if you love the weird, then this is like going to be one of your favorite films of the year because it's just more of that. You know, it's not it's not one of the best necessarily. Or I, I don't know. There's just, you know, you talk about something like Annihilation. Like that one, there's so much that just like, what am I watching? Like there's like ten genres in Annihilation, though it keeps going all over the place. But there's nothing like big standout to this film to really talk about. Like there even is with Kill List. Like Kill List wrecked me. I mean, just almost destroyed me watching that. And I didn't feel the same as this, partially because this felt so much like They Remain. I was just like, what? This almost feels like a remake of They yeah. Remain. I like this one better uh, than They Remain, but yeah. I, I I don't know if I did. I mean, I like them both, but I, I, I this is, um, 
if you liked, if you're not as familiar with the weird, but yeah. you've seen like recent films like color out of space or the beach house, it's kind of like those, or it calls to mind black mountainside from 2014, yeah. which was inspired by Lovecraft at the mountains of madness. It's those types of films. Honestly, to me, this feels like a remake of Philip Gillott's they remain. It's like Wheatley saw they remain and he was like, I can top yeah. that. And in some ways he did top it. I, mean, I think it has a plot that's easier to follow. Conventional horror fan will maybe, gravitate to the that doesn't make this one better than that one but i think there's yeah. more of your traditional horror in this one than there was in they remain they remain was very it, it definitely ups yeah it, it ups the horror ante uh, but i do think it's tonally and experientially experientially quite similar to they remain but whatever i mean that's that's fine i like them both um clint mansell's score was good in this one too i meant to mention that i think yeah. it worked out well it's also incredibly shot. There are thrilling visuals here. They're, I love, they love the flashing lights. They're solid performances. I like that it has an idyllic setting that, you know, the circumstances go horribly wrong. That's my kind of film. So it's creepy. It's uncanny. It's unsettling. Um, it was a great film. This is my first film of Sundance actually. So it was, a it was mine too to start with, but um, yeah, I, I like this one. This is a high priority recommendation for me for people who enjoy that kind of the weird cosmic horror. What about you? Yeah, the same. I'm looking at letterbox and we also have the same rating for this as well. <laughs> that's, that's so funny. Okay. Up next we have John and the hole. Did you see that one? I didn't get to see this one and I've heard mixed things. I wanted to see it, but I didn't get a chance to see it. I didn't see it either. Um, I'll just read the description. While exploring the neighborhood woods, 13-year-old John Charlie Shotwell discovers an unfinished bunker, a deep hole in the ground. Seemingly without provocation, he drugs his affluent parents and older sister and drags them unco- their unconscious bodies into the bunker where he holds them captive. As they anxiously await- wait for John to free them from the hole, the boy returns home where he can finally do what he wants. <laughs> so it's a Home Alone like, sequel, okay. right? yeah exactly (laughs) i'm free yeah um yeah okay so john the hole didn't see it um this next one i did hear a lot of good things about but i did not see it knocking did you get a chance to see i did actually see this one yes okay um i'm gonna again read from the sentence description um what is that noise when molly hears knocking coming from the ceiling in her new apartment she naturally searches for the source The upstairs neighbors don't know what she's talking about and dismiss her with cool indifference. Is it all in her mind? After all, she's still processing a traumatic event that left her mentally unwell. And the unprecedented heat wave isn't helping her think clearly. As the knocking intensifies and gives way to a woman's cries, Molly becomes consumed with finding out the truth. Could it be Morse code? Is someone trapped? And more importantly, why doesn't anyone else care? Knocking. What did you think, Nathan? And I actually, so one of the things just about this, because it was obviously wasn't the normal festival where we're, we're physically there and going around, but I still had to sort of work around, you know, my kids and everyone being here all the time. So f- finding times where I could watch these movies ended up with me doing something I normally wouldn't have, which is watching a movie really late at night, which, you know, at the, in a festival thing that usually is where you're really weary, you know, you've seen two or three movies. And so I'm yeah. worried about this one because the way it works, at least the way I had, I didn't have the, a continual pass. So you get it. And I think you have the movie for like 24 hours or something like that. And so it was towards the end of the day, it's like now close to 11 PM. And I'm like, if I don't watch this movie now, I'm not going to be able to see it. So I need to go ahead and just <laughs> turn it on. And thankfully this is a movie. First off, it is not very long at all. Um, I, it's 78 minutes long. So it's very 
uh, short, but it's also intense for its short running time. So this is a this is a movie that kept me completely awake and completely engaged, and it is a good one. It's a good thriller. I definitely think it's more. You're you're talking more about the Hitchcockian sort of style suspense thriller that doesn't not make it a horror film. It still is, and if if I'm giving you a comparison, the things that happen in the movie aren't the same. But the way that the film is shot, the way it uses its its low budget to really head into a person's mind space, I think you're looking at something closer to like Unsane. Uh, if you saw Unsane, um, did you see that one, Josh? I did. Yes, I did. Yes. Yeah. So I think that uh, it's a little different in some ways. Movies like Bug, uh, The Machinist, or maybe other touch points, except that what's happening here is interesting because this movie involves a protagonist who, uh, Cecilia Milocco, who she's really good in this movie, and the camera kind of stays with her and does a lot of interesting things for this budget where you're never really leaving her headspace. Something traumatic has happened to her. She seemingly has lost a loved one. It's never made completely clear, at least I don't think so, what has happened, but she is mourning the loss of a of a significant other, and she is in this apartment during a heat wave, and it places unfamiliar to her, and then she starts hearing sounds knocking that and there are different things going on and the people in this apartment complex are very shifty you've got that normal cast of characters that what's going on here and she starts to see this stain that appears on the ceiling and from her from her mind and what she's processing with this she's starting to get the feeling that there is someone who's in need of help she's certain that there's a specifically a woman in distress somewhere in this apartment complex and her mind latches onto that. That sounds like a thing we've seen a hundred times and for a little bit of the movie, it's exactly like that. We're also used to an unreliable narrator in horror films. It's got that. But what's interesting about it is how it weaves this in so that we're sort of with her and we understand that she's so, she's so dead set on proving that this is happening that it doesn't become a, is she, is she mentally unwell or is she hearing what she's hearing? The movie kind of puts it up front really quickly. You realize, yeah, she has some mental trauma that's gone on. She has some places where she is clearly not always processing the real world the way she should. We know that she does see things that aren't there, but that doesn't necessarily make her wrong. And you're never really sure. You realize this is an interesting movie where the two might be going hand in hand. You don't usually see a movie where the person acknowledges their mental unwellness and then has to work through it. Maybe a movie like the caveman Valentine comes to mind. So this is really interesting for me. It just kind of right towards the very end. I kind of wanted it to wrap up in a, in a more, uh, more of a gut punch sort of way or more of a specific way. I feel that it almost just sort of, it's got you on the edge of your seat and then it just sort of floats you out the door and, and on to the next thing. But I really yeah. liked it a lot. Well, cool. I, this was one I didn't try that hard to see because I was currently going crazy inside my house. And so I didn't know yeah. if I wanted to watch a movie about someone going crazy inside their house. But, um, yeah, that sounds good. I'm glad. I mean, I've only heard good things about this one, so I'm glad it does also it. feel like the kind of mainstream one that's likely to get picked up sooner than later. Yeah. It has like uh, kind of like sleeper hit written all over it. I think. I think Knocking and Censor were the two horror films I heard the most about at the festival. But um, this next one was the one I was personally most excited about. Didn't get a chance to see it. It's called Passing. Did you see Passing? No, I didn't, and I'm not sure I remember coming across that or what the plot of that one is. I didn't see it. It's, no. des- it's described as an elegant psychological thriller. 
So I don't know how horrific it's going to be, but this is a cool um, concept. This uh, stars Tessa Thompson as Irene Redfield. She's a refined upper-class 1920s woman who finds breezy refuge from a hot summer day in the grand tier room of New York City's Drayton Hotel. Across the room, she spots a blonde woman staring her down. Irene wants to run away, but before she can, Claire Kendry, played by Ruth Nega, rushes over to stop her. It turns out the two women were in high school together. And while both are African-American women who can pass as white, they have both chosen to live on opposite sides of the color line. Now their renewed acquaintance threatens them both. So I thought that's a really interesting I I missed that one completely. And those are both – those are two really great actresses as well. They are. are Great. I just – during quarantine discovered Preacher and I've become a big fan of Ruth Nega. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Tessa Thompson's great. So cool. Yeah. Passing. I don't know how horrific it is. Again, it's described as a elegant psychological thriller. It's in black and white, 1929 Harlem Renaissance. But, it's in black you know, and white. Man, I really yeah. kind of feel disappointed. I missed uh, that. I didn't yeah. re- recognize that was on the list. Yeah. That one looks interesting. And the next one up is the pink cloud. Um, again, this is one I avoided be- due to pandemic vibes, yeah. but um, did you see this one? No, and actually it's funny because it was similar to me. Like I read a little bit of a review and it was basically saying it really makes you feel the isolation. And I was like, yep, next. <laughs> yeah. I, at some point when we're a little bit further past this, I, I'm more than happy to check this one out. I'll read this one really quick. Giovanna and Yaga were strangers who share a spark after meeting at a party. When a deadly cloud mysteriously takes over their city, they are forced to seek shelter with only each other for company. As months pass and the planet settles into an extended quarantine, their world shrinks and they are forced to come to terms with an accelerated timeline for their relationship. With all their other interactions governed by screens and with the strain of isolation setting in, Giovanni and Yago struggle to reinvent themselves and reconcile the differences that threaten to tear them apart. An ambitiously stylish debut feature set in an evocative, not-too-distant world that eerily echoes life in lockdown. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sounds interesting. But one uh, day. Primetime. Did you see Primetime? I didn't, know. Okay, Primetime is based on a true story. Uh, New Year's Eve 1999, 20-year-old Sebastian armed with a gun hijacks a TV studio and takes two hostages, a famous TV presenter and a security guard. His plan? No one seems to know, including Sebastian himself. His demand to deliver his message, whatever that may be, via live broadcast is repeatedly thwarted by an uncertain police force and egotistical network chairman. As the night wears on, Sebastian and the hostages bond in unexpected ways while those in power fumble to restore order. So, yeah. Sounds like the best movie of 1995. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it sounds it sounds intriguing, though, but it does seem like the kind of thriller we used to get in the, in the 90s, mid-early 90s. Yeah. I yeah I agree. Um, Prisoners in a Ghost Land, crazy Nick Cage movie. Neither of us saw, unfortunately. Um, I'll just very briefly in the treacherous frontier city of Samurai Town, a ruthless bank robber played by Nicholas Cage is sprung by jail by wealthy warlord the Governor, played by Bill Mosley, who adopted whose adopted granddaughter Bernice, played by Sophia Butella, has gone missing. Sounds like a blast. Um, Strawberry Mansion. Did you see that one? I actually did see Strawberry Mansion, and it okay. uh, 
it's we can read the synopsis. It's I don't know if it'll help us. <laughs> In the not too distant future, an all seen surveillance state conducts dream audits to collect taxes on the unconscious lives of the populace. Hmm? Yep, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a jumping off point for a movie that is essentially, if you're thinking what you like this, first off, this is not horror at all. This is more kind of um, whimsical, kitschy, surrealistic um, fantasy. But I oh, yeah. really did enjoy it. Uh, you, It's almost, think of the science of sleep. And it, you, you get this idea, because um, mm. you have Michelle Gondry did both uh, science of sleep and Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. And this movie is somewhere yeah. in the middle of those. It's a little bit more what? science. Yeah, yeah. Because it, this character is a dream auditor. He goes to this mansion. But we're talking extraordinarily low budget. This is almost like paper mache okay. Terry Gilliam. Uh, one of the Which direct- is also Michelle Gondry-esque. Yes, yeah. So it's, it's taking all that, the very whimsical, dreamlike feel. I like both <laughs> movies, Science of Sleep and Eternal Sunshine. I like Eternal Sunshine a lot more. But I think Science of Sleep has that anarchist feeling of a dream right where what is going on and does it matter that there's barely a plot and these characters are just reliving their same sort of mundane activities but they're riding on a horse made of string you know that kind of thing and this movie has that that feel where there's weird images but you know that these people you know he takes these 80s sort of primitive looking vhs tapes and that's the way he audits the dream he puts it in and he looks at and he starts to fall in love with the younger version of this elderly lady that exists in her dreams and he's going through and figuring out which dreams haven't been properly you know oh you're kind of living in here rent free so to speak (laughs) you need to go and yeah then other people start coming in here because now there's a different group of people that are interested in her dreams some of these corporate agents that are looking for something and it's now if i sound like i'm describing a thriller don't be fooled because it doesn't it never gets that urgent about what it's doing it's just a fun candy coated kind of whimsical dream ride uh albert bernie one of the two directors here he did a movie i saw at a maryland film festival years ago called the beast pageant and it was just weird terry gilliam-esque nonsense uh but in a fun way that also had it one minute you'd watch a giant breast give birth to a child uh however you want to imagine that that's probably exactly what it ended up looking like and then it would move on to these images that would not be out of place in an old like uh roy rogers singing cowboy movie it, it just strange combinations and that this movie has that but again if you enjoy that kind of whimsical kind of let your mind wander let your heart wander i don't i'm not too fussed about the plot you can have a lot of fun with this. There's other people that are going to be angry <laughs> with it because of how it never it refuses to really be about something other than its own sort of fancy fanciful ideas. Wow. Um. So not horror at all, no. but man, I mean, Eternal Sunshine. Michel Gondry is one of my favorite filmmakers, other than his like Green Hornet or whatever stuff. But oh, I forgot he made. That. I mean, the the two films that you mentioned are like two of my favorite films. So. <laughs> wow, dude. I'm going to have to check that one out. Awesome. Okay. Up next, we have Superior. Uh, now, this one is like The Blazing World, based on a short film that was previously at Sundance. This one was in 2015. It was at Sundance. Um, this is the feature debut of our director here. Uh, did you see Superior? I did not see it. Nope. Okay. When Marion is on the run, she goes to the only place she knows is safe, her childhood home. She is greeted by her estranged sister, Vivian, a stay-at-home housewife struggling to conceive and on the verge of a failing marriage. 
Though the two are identical twins, they live opposite lives. Marion's mysterious return disrupts Vivian's small-town routine, and the sisters must learn to reconnect and reconcile. When Marion's haunting past finally catches up to her, their separate worlds collide, catapulting both sisters into grave danger. I, I heard good things about it. Didn't don't know anything else about it though. Yeah, I don't really either. Up next, violation. Uh, did you see a violation? No, I. This was one I kind of went back and forth on, and again, it comes down to that: is do I want to see this? And I yeah. ultimately came down to there were other movies on the on the docket that same day that I was like, you know, uh, I think I'll go with this. Intense domestic drama. <laughs> um, explodes into relentless illustration of the driving force and destructive power of even the most righteous of rage. Unhappily married Miriam and Caleb join Miriam's somewhat estranged sister Greta and husband Dylan at a lakeside cabin for a weekend of relaxation and reconciliation. Feeling spurned and attempts to connect with both Greta and Caleb, Miriam increasingly retreats to the ease to the easy comfort of her friendship with the affable Dylan. After a transgressive act of sexual violence, the film's narrative vividly fractures, disorienting audiences with inextricably, while inextricably tying their experience to Miriam's as she embarks on a vicious crusade of revenge. Okay. It's a violation. Uh, we're getting close to the end of what I have here. I don't know if you saw some that aren't on my list. Um, we're all going to the World's Fair. I did not see that. Although after the fact, I started to hear interesting things about it. And, and I, I don't think I read the synopsis properly the first time. And so I thought after the fact, oh, man, maybe I should have checked that one out. Okay. I didn't see it either. Uh, we're all going to the World's Fair. It says late and on a cold night somewhere in the U.S., teenage Casey sits alone in her attic bedroom, scrolling the Internet under the glow in the dark stars, the black light posters – Oh, and black light posters that blanket the ceiling. She's finally decided to take the World's Fair Challenge, an online role-playing horror game, and embrace the uncertainty it promises. After the initiation, she documents the changes that may or may not be happening to her, adding her experiences to the shuffle of online clips available for the world to see. She begins to lose herself between dream and reality. A mysterious figure reaches out, claiming to see something special in her uploads. Okay. Um, and then I've got two more on here. Um, I was a simple man. Did you see? I that did not one see by that chance? one. No, I don't think so. Nope. Okay. Um, I was a simple man is not a horror film, so I won't spend a lot of time on it. It is a ghost story, but it's kind of like a, a benevolent ghost story. I guess it's, <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's about a man who's passing away. And dealing with the mistakes he made in life. And his the ghost of his wife is nearby, kind of waiting to receive him into the afterlife. And he's looking back at just how he wasn't the best father, essentially. You know, it's good. It's a great movie. Um, you know, it was one of my favorite movies I saw, but it's I wouldn't call it a ghost movie. I mean, I wouldn't call it a horror movie. It is a ghost film. Um, then last on my list I have here is Wild Indian. Did you? I didn't see this. I really wanted to see this, though. Okay. 
Wild Indian was good. It wasn't exactly what I was hoping for, um, but it was good. It was interesting and it's disturbing. Um, it stars um, uh, Michael Gray Eyes, who was one of the stars of Blood Quantum, and he's uh, also been seen in like Fear the Walking Dead and that kind of stuff. Um, I really liked his performance. It was chilling. It was 180 degrees from his performance in Blood Quantum. Um, let me read a little bit about Wild Indian. Makwa, a young uh, boy, has a rough life. He often appears at school with bruises. He says he got falling down, but no one believes him. He and his only friend, Teto, like to escape by playing in the woods until the day that Makwa shockingly murders a schoolmate. After covering up the crime, the two boys go on to live very different lives. Now, as adult men, they must face the truth of what they have done and what they have become. So I I would say this is mostly a drama. Um, There is some horrific violence in the film. It's disturbing, um, and murder is kind of at the heart of it, but I would say it's more drama than anything else, honestly. Um, I I liked it a lot. Uh, It's... I, I I always appreciate quality indigenous content uh, because we do get so little of it, and especially horror, there just isn't a lot of it. Um, I was not prepared for this film is primarily because Michael Gray Eyes was so different from the character he played in Blood Quantum. I was just like, what? That is, and he was not- great in Blood Quantum. Yeah. He was, but he was he was heroic in that film, and this <laughs> he is. He is not. <laughs> uh, he and so it's cool because he's getting a chance to play the type of character he normally wouldn't get to play. That's why he was excited about it. He likes the idea of. It, it's shocking to see this come from an indigenous filmmaker because it's such a negative depiction of reservation life and and native culture, and and so it's kind of like I think I'm used to kind of seeing a more hopeful you know, vision of native indigenous life when it comes from within the community, yeah. honest, but kind of with a more grounded kind of hopeful angle. And this is like so dark, but again, mostly a drama. Um, it stars or has a supporting cast of Hollywood A-listers, Jesse Eisenberg and Kate Bosworth. Um, they were kind of producers on the film and kind of lent their acting to the film, but they're not really in it much. It's mostly just about these two boys who are present at the committing of a crime as a youth. And then you jump to 30 years later and just kind of, you're dealing with the consequences of this horrible secret that they've kept. I do love movies like that, (laughs) that that use that sort of uh, element. Yeah. And it doesn't shy away from the difficulties that these communities face. And so it's pretty, um, yeah, it's 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 a rough watch, I think, in that way. Um, but it's good, and I, you know, Michael Gray has said this. I thought this was interesting. He said the film placed an indigenous man inside a narrative frame usually reserved for people from other cultures. So I think I think that is a big deal because representation is complicated. There are kind of these different levels of representation. Where um, you know, I, I heard recently uh, Stephen Yun talking about this. I do think it works in stages, and you start yeah. off, I think with that stage one of representation, which yeah. is, which is the stereotype. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, yeah I get, I get asked literal. to play yeah. the, 
yeah, I get asked to play the terrorist. You get asked to play the the, the kung fu master yeah. or something just yeah, wild. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah, okay, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. and and there's that stage of things, and then there's the second stage, which, as you said, is an important stage. It isn't one we want to skip completely. Mm. It's okay. This is culturally specific character mm. storytelling terrain, but it's subverting stereotypes. It's challenging those caricatures. It's mm. um, overturning some of those dominant narratives. At some point, you also do want to get to that, what I call kind of the, the promised land, you know, and that yeah. promised land of like, it's not about that. When these characters aren't yes. defined by that, they're, yeah. they're just people. Stage two and stage three aren't mutually exclusive. And I think that's what this is. It's like that third level of just like, yeah, he's, he's a psychopath. <laughs> And that's fine. And that's okay. You know, and that's like that. And that's, it's kind of this poem about the difficulty of indigenous life in America, kind of the long standing effects of colonization of wanting to kind of be a part of the American dream when you're not. I really want to see it now. I mean, it sounds, it it sounded good to begin with, but I've, you've definitely sold me on it. Yeah. It's, it's not going to be for everybody. It's not conventional. But I know I know you can handle it. I don't know that most of our audience is going to respond to it, but I loved it. And um, I, again, I'm, I'm reserving a rating until later. I will watch it again when um, it comes out, and then probably if it's if it is for the horror audience, I'll talk about it again on the show. But well, that's all I've got. Did you have anything else that you saw at Sundance 2021? Um, there's a couple of movies I saw. I think at this point, I didn't see anything else that could. Can- could really be considered horror. I saw a couple that might be a little bit more um, adjacent and definitely like sci-fi. Uh, there's one. Okay, let's there's hear at least yeah. one I want to talk about called Mayday, and uh, it's directed by Karen Sonori. I'll read the, this is a synopsis from Letterboxd, but I think it's very similar to the one that would be in the in the program. An unusual storm is approaching, and it's about to change everything for Anna. After a short circuit at her workplace, mysteriously transports her to an alternate world, she meets a crew of female soldiers caught in an endless war. Along a strange and rugged coastline, Hmm. men face the stark truth lurking lurking behind damsels who appear to be in distress. Under the leadership of Marsha, Anna trains as a sharpshooter and discovers a newfound freedom in this uninhibited sisterhood. She soon senses she may not be the ruthless killer they expect, though, and time is running out for her to find a path home. And that is the plot, but it's a little bit more complex than that. Grace Van Patten, and people pointed this out, and it is true, she looks a lot like Shailen Woodley. She is the, she's Anna, she's the young woman at the center of this. And when this movie starts out, she is this very kind of demure, shy waitress who works at this uh i guess she's working at this hotel that puts on a lot of weddings and things like that and she has a boss that is just verbally abusing her at one point when the power comes that goes out you're not entirely sure the movie never specifies that maybe something even worse than that happened and then she she's she's at kind of the end of her rope she's feeling very diminished she hears this voice this mayday and it just keeps repeating uh this these words over and over again in this female voice and she hears it and it's coming out of the oven and she is distraught she's again at a point where she seems to possibly be contemplating ending her life and on Mm. the other side of that oven she finds herself in this world that looks like it's happening anywhere between world war one or world war two but in reality it has a neverland kind of feel to it she's on this english looks like an english coastline and there she meets uh, mia goth 
who is the leader of this rabble of young women. And it becomes very clear very early on in this movie, I don't think it's too much of a spoiler, that they are a form of the mythical sirens. They put the Mayday out there. They wait for these young men who are, again, dressed as if they're in a World War One or World War II scenario. And they they bringing their ships to help them crash up against the shore. And then they murder all the resulting people who come up on the shore. They just kill them. And it has like a Lord of the Flies meets this siren storyline by way of almost like a Wes Anderson film. I mean, it has a very quirky, weird, very, um, very kitschy sort of sensibility to it. The cinematography is beautiful. It looks wonderful. Uh, Juliette Lewis is also in the movie. There's a whole cast of these young women who live in the the kind of innards of this uh, ship that is washed up on shore. And then you really get that Peter Pan feel. You have uh, Grace Van Patten, who is still figuring out who she is. And now she's amongst these wild sort of warrior women. And she's trying to figure out, you know, is it okay what we're doing here? What are, What is this other side, these people who are murdering, how do they feel? And it you start to realize that this isn't just a dream per se. This really is a sort of maybe limbo world that every one of these women who's here is because of some abuse and diminishment that she's experienced in a world where she had no agency of her own. And it almost feels like the more interesting, slightly edgy, because this still could probably be, if it ends up getting rated, I still think this is probably a PG-13, but it's a slightly edgier hmm. sort of almost a young adult that YA tag has become a curse, and, and rightfully so in some cases, because some of the movies that we get and some of the fiction we get isn't great, but this is really trying to, I think, put a a personal stamp on it it's another one that for me, it's good. It doesn't quite like wow me. It looks beautiful. It looks wonderful. You like being in this world. You like where this story goes. And yet there's just something just a little bit missing. Uh, she builds a fully formed world here. You just kind of want it to be just a little less dreamlike. You really want, you almost want it to be a little more vicious in some ways or, 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 or take a side just a little bit more in one way or the other. But I did enjoy it. And I think it's a movie that, this young adult audience can kind of get into and you can get into it without uh, needing the the typical romance story or these typical genre beats. It's an interesting take on Peter Pan. I think people that come to it uh, from the perspective of a more of a fantastical picture, they're, they're, they're more likely to enjoy it. It isn't really hard, but you do have that element of uh, like Lord of the Flies or, you know, the most dangerous game, this element of, of people hunting people. Awesome. Well, um, uh, anything else? Uh, not really. I, I'm going to throw a title of a movie. I'm not going to talk a lot about. There's a movie I did see. It's not. It, it, it's probably even difficult to call it fantasy, and it's certainly not horror or science fiction. It was called uh, Night of the Kings, and I really liked it. It's probably going to be coming out soon. I'm not sure where, but I'm starting to see it. It, it seems to be being rolled out. It was nominated, I think, for. Um, best picture in the foreign film category at, I think the, it, it was, I think it's this Academy Awards, but it's very interesting. It deals with a, a prison off of the Ivory coast that is run almost exclusively by the inmates and the leader Blackbeard. He's getting to this point where uh, he's probably going to be deposed soon and he's looking and there's going to be a big, when he's gone, the power vacuum in this prison between these fighting clans is going to be, unable it's going to destroy almost everyone and he's looking for a storyteller so like it's someone who can who can kind of find his way in the middle of this and sort of ease everything and in an arabian nights kind of setting uh and so this the storyteller that he finds 
he's he's spinning a, a story that is more fantastical in the under the guise of this or in the circumstances of this prison setting. So it's really interesting. It's probably one of the best movies I saw, but I think it falls just slightly outside of what we're talking about today. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Well, um, I guess that will do it for our Sundance 2021 coverage. Um, what was, if you had to recommend one movie that people watch out for, or one that you're most excited about, maybe what, what would that be? Do you think of the, of the ones we've talked about? Um, yeah, from the from the Sundance yeah. cat, from the Sundance horror thrillers, and I, even though it sounds like we were kind of down on it, I do think that the horror community is going to enjoy the uh, Eight for Silver. You know, particularly people yeah. who are fans of creature features. I think that Knocking is going to be one that people enjoy. If you enjoy that weird eccentric kind of filmmaking. Again, outside of horror, Strawberry Mansions. And there's going to be also, if you like the eccentric filmmaking inside of horror, I think you're going to like uh, In the Earth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I would say uh, the three best films that I saw, well, probably four, I guess, would be I Was a Simple Man, um, Coming Home in the Dark, Wild Indian, and In the Earth uh, for horror fans. I would say Coming Home in the Dark is probably the strongest film I saw. Um, definitely the strongest film I saw. I think if you like something like Hunter Hunter this year, you're going to like that. Like if that's your type of movie, you're going to enjoy Coming Home in the Dark. Um, A for Silver, I agree with you. I mean, we, we were focusing on the negatives, <laughs> but it is a decent creature feature and it is cool that it's in this period setting. Um, I do think, you know, I again, without necessarily giving a rating, but I think it is kind of in that seven area for me. You know, I think it's a, it's a rental recommendation. People, people will enjoy it. I think, um, I didn't have anything this year, definitely not in the, in the horror category that was like my big movie of the year that I'm super excited about, unfortunately, um, which is kind of a bummer, but, um, I still thought it was good. And I, I, I do think coming home in the dark, I, I think is a, a stronger recommendation for me. Um, all right. Well, I guess that's it for our sentence wrap up. Nathan, thank you so much for stepping in when we really needed you most. And especially for re- recording when we had already done a half hour previous. <laughs> yeah, no worries. I didn't record. Um, you were great. Uh, you know, and uh, it's always nice to talk to someone who's, you know, we've interacted with each other for a long time on the, in the comments section of horrormoviepodcast.com. And so, you know, you 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 always leave very insightful comments. I'm not at all surprised that you were great to podcast with. I've heard your podcast as well, obviously, but, um, but it was great. It was great podcasting with you. I really enjoyed it. So um, let the people know where they can best find you online and, uh, and please do check out Nathan's podcast both with and without um, our illustrious co-host, Dave, Dr. Shock Becker. <laughs> Thanks so much, Josh. This was a lot of fun. And Hey, anytime I'm, uh, I'm up for talking uh, with you guys about horror or anything else. And we'd love to have you on Phantom Galaxy sometime. And for the listeners, yeah. Phantom Galaxy is uh, you can find it at, uh, really, at most places where you can find uh, podcasts and most of the podcatchers and things like that, it, you can find us over at Apple Podcasts and at uh, Phantom Galaxy at Podbean.com. And we're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. Uh, Twitter, I uh, it is a little different. It's Phantom with an F, so it's F-A-N-T-O-M Galaxy. And 
uh, we po we're trying to uh, post regular things there. We get a website up and we have a lot of content. We just did our best horror of uh, 2020. We just put that up this past week with uh, Greg Bench, who I know is a, a big listener of HMP and has participated. And I'm in the middle of editing our all other movies best list. And uh, we had Victor Rodriguez who came on. I know he's been on HMP as well. And as you mentioned, uh, Dave Becker is doing a uh, Dr. Shock is doing uh, a, a kind of series within a series of Phantom Galaxy called The Illustrated Fan, where we are looking at animated films. We gone back and forth and realized, hey, you know what? There's a lot of great animated movies out there and uh, be able to yeah. kind of step away from just a specific genre and just look at what's out there. So that's been a lot of fun so far. The first episode's up. We're getting ready to record the second. And my regular co-host is Bill Van Vagel, who's also over at Land of the Creeps. Uh, and we we go through all kinds of things. We also do kind of a VOD roulette episodes where we just let every guest pick a movie and then, uh, you know, but it usually has to be from streaming and off times it's something cheap. So... <laughs> And then we see what we thought about it. But I appreciate you uh, uh, giving me the opportunity to come on here and talk about the movies. And it was a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, thank you. No, absolutely. It was great having you on the show. I encourage everyone to check out Nathan's podcast. It's so funny to hear all of those names. You know, Victor Rodriguez, Greg Bench, Bill Van Vagel, all these people. <laughs> you all started out as HMP listeners. What this show really is that... Uh, these idiots can do it. Anybody can show. But, uh, no, we appreciate all of you. Um, special thanks to our friend Kagan Breitenbach. He's uh, the composer of the horror movie podcast theme song and the Screaming Online theme song. You can find more of his work at kaganbreitenbach.com. Remember to support the show and enjoy a 30-day free trial of Shudder with the promo code HMP. You can get your Horror Movie Podcast t-shirt, hoodies, stickers, or mug at horrormoviepodcast.com slash store. Follow the podcast on Twitter at horrormoviecast. And you can find me personally, The Wolfman, on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, Facebook, at Icarus Arts. Thanks so much for listening to this special bonus episode of Horror Movie Podcast. Our very next episode will be our top 10 horror movies of 2020, including all three of our lists and our combined listener list it was a great show it's already recorded we'll be coming to you very soon with gilman joel dave dr shock becker and myself the wolfman at horror movie podcast where we're dead serious about horror movies we welcome to the show nathan bartlebaugh and actually nathan is it bartlebaugh or bartlebow i've never asked you i just realized you got it exactly right the first time, okay. Josh. Bartle I, Ball. I and most people it. don't. That's why I, I was impressed. So, yep, it is Bartle Ball. I've okay, gotten lots awesome. of uh, variations over the years. <laughs> okay, great. Well, welcome. Guarding unsuspecting audiences from the... Oh, I don't know this word. From the del deleterious... What is that word? Man, I that's as embarrassing. Deleterious? Deleterious? Yeah. Deleterious. Deleterious, okay. yes.